0: Welcome to the Finance and Investments Student
1: Association's FISA Fireside Chats with Matthew and Oliver. Welcome back, everyone, to the FISA Fireside Chat with Matt and Oliver. We're super happy to have an exceptional guest with us today, Alexandra Duffy, which is uh, currently a uh, senior manager at Bain and Company in Toronto. Previous graduate of Concordia, graduate in 2013. We're super happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome, uh, Alexandra. Thanks
2: so much for having me.
1: Awesome. So let's start with a classic question. You're you obviously have an exceptional background, and we'd love to uh, to hear about it and how you ended up uh, at Bain. So if you could touch on your a little bit of your experience at Concordia, maybe the internships that you've done and uh, your your current position, that will get us started.
2: For sure. Um. So like you mentioned, I went to John Molson, graduated in 2013. Um. While I was there, I was part of the co-op program uh, and the case competition program. So I did a couple internships. Um, I did one in equity research um, at Dundee, which I thought was really interesting and kind of got me my first flavor of capital markets, if you will. Um, So I did that. And then my next internship was in credit at G Capital. Um, I did that for six months. I think in hindsight, I would have done more internships rather than longer ones. So that would be my one piece of advice. I think internships are really this amazing kind of low risk way to test out different things and see what you like and, and kind of. Help chart your path if you're you one of those people like me who wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I first started. Um, so those are my two internships, um, and I think they kind of helped me shape my idea of, of what I was looking for in a position uh, after graduating, and that's ultimately what pushed me towards investment banking. Um, I was lucky enough to land a position at BMO Capital Markets in their Montreal office, which is a generalist office, um, and I did that for four years. So I really I really enjoyed my time there, Um, learned a ton. It was super, um, super interesting work uh, and really enjoyed it. I did feel like I was looking for a little bit more of a well-rounded kind of experience, if you will. I felt like I had really covered kind of the valuation, more technical finance side. And so that's what pushed me to consulting where I was looking to kind of round that out with some more of the strategy and ops work. Um, I did take a year off after investment making, which I also highly recommend gap years, did a lot of traveling, saw a lot of the world, um, highly recommend that as well. <laughs> um, and then ultimately joined Bain uh, and Bain Company in Toronto. I, Since I've been there, I've done a lot of private equity work as well, which is something that's a little bit unique to Bain is that we do a lot of, of um, private equity diligence, which is I thought it was a really natural complement to what I was doing in investment banking, which was obviously more on the valuation side. It was answering kind of this whole other set of questions in a transaction of, of actually should they buy this target? Um, kind of what are the pros and cons of the investment thesis? Uh, are there any kind of disruptive threats on the horizon that the, the investor should be concerned about? So I thought I thought that was really interesting. Um as well um but have also done since a bunch of other more classic type of consulting mandates on on the strategy or performance improvement side so um it's been really interesting and i have been really enjoying my time there so far
0: great awesome well, thank you for that and obviously a super interesting path uh maybe we can bring it back to you know post-grad so you started you started out your career in investment banking so we would be curious to hear like how how did you well why did you choose investment banking and what was the process like of actually of breaking into to be capital markets?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think through my internships, I quickly realized that kind of your standard nine to five wasn't gonna cut in for me. I think I was looking for something really a lot more fast-paced and challenging. Um, mm-hmm. and in talking to people in the industry, that's kind of ultimately where I gravitated more towards. Um I think just the idea of, of being able to touch on a bunch of different transactions kind of at this, like being so close to the client and be able to see kind of M&A deals up close and personal was, was super interesting to me. Um, in terms of the process itself, I have to be fully transparent. I wasn't the most organized student at the time. And so it was honestly more luck of the draw that I kind of knew I I almost missed the boat because I didn't realize that firms were recruiting a year before graduation. Yes. Uh, the interview I kind of went by the seat of my pants and somehow managed to make it through the technical interview. So in hindsight, it definitely would have been better prepared. Um, I thought that was a big surprise to me is how early Forbes recruit. And I think they're doing it more and more because the, the competition for talent is getting really, really fierce. So definitely um, kind of looking back, I, I just got lucky, but I would really encourage people to, to start early and make sure that you're familiar with kind of the different ongoing processes uh, then on top of the ball, uh, as far as that goes, because there, there's a lot of prep that goes into kind of these more competitive jobs, like consulting or investment making.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. And maybe to dive a bit deeper in your, into your experience at BMO, you mentioned that uh, I was a generalist office, and I think that's the case for, for most uh, investment banking teams in Montreal. So I was just wondering if you could dive a bit deeper into this. So what does that mean? What type of deals did you, uh, did you look into? Maybe what types of industry as well? Just to, to add a bit of color on that.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think most investment banking offices, when you go to larger ones where there's more people, usually you'll have groups that are specialized either in terms of industry or product. Um, so if you're to Toronto or New York, usually you'll have like huge offices of investment banks where um, kind of they group people in terms of industry. So, for example, you could you would only do mining deals or only tech deals or only uh, real estate deals. So you get really deep in terms of one industry, but you would get to cover a bunch of products. So you could work on a real estate IPO one day and then the next day on a uh, real estate M&A, but you would always be in that one industry. Conversely, you could specialize in terms of the product. So you would sit on the, either the M&A side or... Um, on the equity desk. So you would really be doing, you know, IPOs and equity raises all day long, but for different types of industries. So each one comes with its pros and cons. Um, Whereas a generalist office, typically the the smaller offices you see won't have, I guess they don't have enough people to sit on these specific um, groups. So they really just cover everything and anything. So for example, a lot of the Montreal investment banks will, um, or Montreal-based investment banks will, will cover all the industries in the Quebec market, um, and we'll do everything from uh, buy side m a, sell side m a uh, where you're either advising the buyer or the seller in an m a deal or um, working on IPOs, what have you. Um, so I personally it, again, it comes with its pros and cons because when you're you're working as a generalist, you don't really get that, that level of specialization that so you kind of have this the pre learning curve whenever you're starting a new deal because you need to get up to speed on kind of what the industry looks like. If there's any specific metrics, so for example, real estate valuation looks a lot different than valuing a tech company. Yes. Um, so there's definitely a steep learning curve, but I, I think it, it's also really interesting, in that you get to cover uh, a whole bunch of different things, and you don't really pigeonhole yourself into one specific niche too early in your career, um, which really, you know, ultimately buys you a lot of option value to do to do different things later on.
0: That's right. You mentioned that. You sort of mentioned that nine to five didn't cut it. And then so you take the other end of the equation, you go right into <laughs> investment banking. So how did how did you deal with like uh like the like the stress loads and, and the workloads of investment banking? And obviously you, you stuck it out for four years. You made it to associate. So what do you what do you think were, were the largest factors that played into that equation while you were in investment banking and sticking it out and you know making your way up.
2: Mm-hmm. Um to be honest with you, I think the I was there at an interesting time where I feel like the industry is shifting relatively quickly, too. Um, and there's more and more emphasis being put on efficiency rather than just grinding for the sake of grinding. Um, I think that's a lot more top of mind now than it was um, even 5, 10 years ago. Um, so I think that's one thing that is is hopefully going <laughs> to continue to improve. It is its focus on um, kind of not just putting in hours for the sake of hours, but really um, Doing what we can to, to make things more efficient. With that said, I think it's definitely still always going to be a challenging, stressful job. Um, but I think it's ultimately a question of mindset. Um, and I was always felt like I was being pushed and learning and continuously growing. Um, so as long as that was true, I think I was willing to, you know, make sacrifices where I needed to. Um, it, it, it really comes down to a question of a mindset and if you're willing to, to put in the work or not. Right.
1: Yeah, that's great. And maybe uh, shifting gears, we went from school to uh, to full time at BMO. You mentioned you took uh, a year off, and maybe let's let's look into your your consulting. So maybe explain why you decide to to make the switch, and is there any types of uh, skill set that help you make that switch? Maybe walk us through the the interview process. I'm I'm curious to to hear. Is it way different than investment banking, for example? And uh, and then we can mm-hmm. go on with uh, with different roles that you uh, you occupied at Bain.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to start, I guess, with the interview side of things. So I found the interviews to be extremely different between banking and consulting. Um, I found the consulting interviews to be a little bit more challenging, to be honest with you. I think banking, usually the questions are very technical, which means there's a right answer to wrong answer. Like There's only only a right way to do a DCF. Every other way is wrong. Whereas in consulting, it's a lot more ambiguous, the case interview. um, And I think just requires a much different approach. It's not just kind of studying... Basic valuation concept. It's really practicing this this whole new way of thinking. At least for me, that was the case. Um, whereas working, you know, four years in investment banking, I had never given a second thought to you know thinking answer first or a hypothesis-driven way. That was all. Those were completely new concepts to me. Um, so I actually found that to be to be fairly new and and took quite a bit of practice to to nail down. Um, so they're definitely different, completely different um, approaches. And I think actually it might be probably challenging to to try to do both of those if you were in in school full time as well. So um, probably try to prioritize one over the other because I think they're they're both very intensive processes, but very different. Um, in terms of translatable skills, ultimately, it's on the day to day in both jobs. I'd say 90% of your day is spent in Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook regardless of, of which job it is. So I thought that was really helpful, or at least very translatable between the two in the sense that I didn't have to relearn kind of all the tools that I was using. I already had that base and I could really just focus on learning the meat and the bones of the job. Um, and I think just any job where you're going to be learning those three programs is no regrets. Like they're, it's super helpful to, to have a really good foundation um, in Excel and PowerPoint. So yeah. Um, i thought
0: that was really helpful great so you started at bain as as a consultant and obviously now you've made your way up so what 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 could someone expect in that in that position at bain as like as a consultant so what what does your work actually entail like who like who do you work with like what what part of the projects are you working on what could someone expect in in that position
2: i think both in in making and consulting they're very um very clear cut paths in terms of, you know, whether it's banking or consulting, you'll do two to three years as an analyst or an associate consultant. And then again, two to three years uh, as a consultant or as an associate, and you always kind of report to the person either right above you, or sometimes I guess they'll have leaner structures, but it's all very kind of clear. There's no ambiguity in terms of who you're reporting to or what the structure looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say in terms of exactly what you're doing because it really changes from from mandate to mandate um but yeah i'd say in terms of a structure it doesn't change too much from from mandate to mandate or deal to deal it's they're actually pretty similar between the those two industries
1: that's great and you also mentioned uh earlier that bain is kind of focused on private equity more sort of like the finance consulting side i guess so could you explain to us what a due diligence project looks like and maybe What's the difference between an analyst at a private equity firm, the the work that you do? How is it? Uh, how is it different?
2: Yeah, I, I guess it really depends on on what what side you're on. So the I guess to take an example, if you were an analyst at a private equity firm, um, let's say day one of a new deal, your uh, partner comes to you and says, "Okay, we want we have this target in mind." now we're going to launch a due diligence process, which means that you're going to do all the work that you need to know how much you should pay for that company and whether you should actually bid on that company or not. Um, And then the private equity firm, or this is the same, whether it's a private equity or a pension fund or a hedge fund or what have you, that investor will often hire professional services firms to help them through that diligence process. So they would typically often hire an investment bank and or a consulting firm and or an accounting firm and or a law firm to help them with all these different moving pieces. Uh, sometimes, le- you know, they'll have less to help, sometimes they'll have more. But ultimately, the, the investment bank would be the one focused on the valuation piece. So they'll advise the firm on how much they should pay based on, you know, the different valuation methodologies. The consulting firm would not be focused at all on the valuation side. So they won't give any kind of input in terms of whether the asset is over or underpriced, but they're really gonna look at kind of more of the commercial and operate, more of the commercial side really, in terms of um, is this target well positioned in the market? Um, Again, are there any disruptive threats? These projections that management came up with, are they realistic or not based on what we know um, the market is doing, based on what we know the competitors are doing? more so, really diving deep in terms of the investment thesis of the the private equity firm to see if it holds or not, um, and then of course you have the, the lawyers also working on all of the the legal transaction documents, and then the accountants also working on the kitchen side. So a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen sometimes that everyone really has their their carved out role to play.
0: Right, and so I was wondering within like within these mandates how how does your like how does your role change at every level so obviously you start as consultant move on to manager senior manager so how like how, how does your role change over time as as you climb up the ladder
2: mm-hmm. i think again this is true in in both jobs that i've been in but i think it you really move from more of the really execution piece, whereas you're doing the ends and you'll be carved out a little piece of the puzzle in terms of, okay, we're trying to answer this question, you're going to run with this question and answer that piece of the puzzle. Um, And so you take your little your question really, and you run the analysis to be able to answer it. Um, And then everyone comes together to kind of tie the story together, if you will, I think as you move up, you become more and more of the, the person who brings the story together and dispatches all the work as opposed to actually doing the execution itself. So it becomes a question of being able to synthesize all the different components of the analysis to come up with your one holistic answer. Um, and you're you're definitely less in the weeds of the Excel day to day and kind of more at that higher level of like, okay, what does this all mean? What's our recommendation to the to the investor?
1: That's that's awesome. And I was wondering, maybe on the types of project that you work on, is it we mentioned generalist at uh, at BMO, is it generalist as well in consulting? And I I'm curious to hear if you could tell us a bit about the projects that you worked on, like maybe just the industries and does it change a lot? Or are you specify specifying one as you grow up in the in the firm? Um I think on
2: the private equity side, there is no, well. There is no specialization, really. You're kind of covering every single industry. So you can do you know, every possible type of, of mandate you can imagine. So I, again, there is a very steep learning curve because you're getting to know pretty niche industries sometimes, like everything from industrial to utility. Um, but you can definitely start to specialize in terms of specific consulting types of mandates or, or industries as well as you move up. Um, but that's more typical at, at some of the more senior levels.
0: So, well, you mentioned that you you've really been working as a generalist in your whole career. So that entails like deals, mandates, oftentimes, like you said, in industries that you've that maybe are less familiar with or haven't haven't looked into before. So, maybe you can walk us through like if you're looking at a new industry or you're like air conditioning units, for example, where you hadn't previously touched on before. Like, how, how do you get up to speed on on that industry? Then, what what does that process like look like on your end? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, a lot of reading. <laughs> uh, kind of there's there's a lot of resources out there. You can look at analyst reports, of the targeted public, or um just general industry reports. Um, I think in a large in a large consulting firm, often you have just a lot of IP and a lot of internal experts who know the industry super well, and um, so you can rely a lot on them to kind of give you the rundown of kind of what are the ins and outs, what are the dynamics that you're seeing, um. And then just doing a lot of kind of interviews with, with industry experts to, to get yourself up to speed and be able to, to bring together all of these different views um, to, to really understand what the landscape looks like.
1: Yeah, I that's great. And I have a question, maybe like shifting sub- subjects a bit. We talked a lot about like maybe like doing more of an analysis type of work, but do you uh, actually like propose strategies to companies in some of the projects? And how is that perceived with the companies? What's the relationship looking like? Let's say you analyze a company in the tech industry, like, oh, this what the market is telling me. Maybe you should do this. Do you give your opinion in those projects or it's more high level? Here's what is happening and you take the decision.
2: Yeah, it really depends on who your client is. So if you're advising an investor, really the main question is, should they invest in this company or not? But um, we also do more of- our Bain does more classic um, like consulting bad dates where you'll work where the client is actually just a company and looking for advice on how to um, I mean they can be looking for advice on, on anything really whether it's you know saving money, working more efficiently, um, you know becoming more competitive, what have you. So in that case, we'll definitely work really closely with the client, often cutting their own internal data um, to help them come up with solutions um, to work better and smarter um, and achieve what they what they're looking for.
0: Right so now, so I was wondering too that you you've been working in consulting for for like a while now, obviously, and I think you've you've probably seen a lot of success stories, but also failures. So, like, what have you noticed? Like, what what do you think makes a successful consultant? And for those who that you've seen like climb up the ladder and and like do well in their role, are there any like common traits that that you've noticed?
2: Um. It's hard to say. And I think this is kind of holds true for whatever industry you're in, consulting or other. Um, but I definitely think starting out is, is just being able to show initiative and being able to push things a step further and just ticking the box. Um, so it's kind of someone gives you something, whether it's the client or your, your partner gives you a question and something to do, not just doing it and sending it back to them, but actually taking things a step further, interpreting the results, suggesting next steps, being willing to take you know, push push the project forward in the best way that you know how. Um, I think really goes a long way. It is appreciated uh, regardless of who your audience is.
1: That's great. I I wanted to to ask you maybe a lighter question. I was wondering about the the Bain Company kind of structure, like the offices around the world. Do you get to travel a lot as a consultant? And how do you deal with uh, with that if you do?
2: Um. So you do, I, I guess. There is some mobility intra office, but there's obviously a quite a extensive process to actually transfer. It's not like you're going willy-nilly <laughs> to go work in the LA office. Um it's you know, there's definitely some mobility, but there's some like paperwork or I guess process required around that. Um, you do travel as well um to your client locations. I think you know, COVID obviously put a damper on that, but there is some, there is a, a lot of um kind of I would say. I guess call them efficiency gains from working on site with a client and being able to sit down face-to-face with your client and work alongside them to be able to kind of crack the problem that's in front of you. Um, so that's kind of where the travel aspect comes in, but there's definitely some, I guess some level of flexibility, I would say. Um, if you want to do it, then there's certainly that opportunity, but if you're kind of more focused on staying local, that's also something that, um, like for example, if you're working in the, the private equity group, you would most likely stay local um, because there's kind of less of that face-to-face aspect um, than on your more traditional mandates.
1: Maybe just to, to end it off here, I'm going to plug our, our case coach uh, program that we have at school. For anyone that's interested in in consulting, you can log in and practice cases with, with peers all around the world. So I was wondering, did you use any resources that you suggest students looking into to, uh, to break into consulting, a podcast, a website, maybe a guide that, uh, or a book that helped you?
2: Um. So I did read guides and books, but I have to say by far and away the most helpful resources other people to practice with. Um. I say that especially as someone who wasn't in school at the time. That's something that I was sorely lacking. My, you know, partner and friends were super annoyed with me by the end. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is the biggest resource that you have as a student right now is other people who are willing, uh, you know, to actually be, critically you know, run through cases with you and give you feedback and help you improve. Um, so definitely tap into that. That's a hundred percent going to be more useful than, than reading any book or podcast. It, it's just really practicing.
1: Awesome. So that's a perfect way to, uh, to end it. Uh, Alexandra, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. And we wish you a lot of luck in, uh, in your role at Bain. So once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again.
1: Great. Thank you. All right.
2: Bye.